How do you, as a leader of a growing community, truly make a conference or event that has impact? A gathering with purpose and an attendee experience that knocks their socks off? An event that leaves your audience in awe and wondering where you've been their whole life? Make It Kick-Ass is the podcast that explores these questions by uncovering the strategies, tactics, and tools that we use every day to bring our clients' conferences to life. I'm Isaac Watson, executive producer of Kick-Ass Conferences, and we're here to help you make it kick-ass. Hey everyone, it's Isaac Watson here, executive producer of Kick-Ass Conferences, and I am here as usual with Nessa Jimenez. Say hello, Nessa. Hi everyone, welcome back. Ness is our operations manager, and we are back with another episode of Make It Kick Ass. Excited to dive into yet another common question that people ask us, which is the focus of this whole season. Uh, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about, or maybe a lot about, mm-hmm. hybrid events, because that is, of course, hot on everyone's minds. So, one of the questions that we get uh, asked quite frequently, especially from people who uh, used to run in-person events uh, pre-pandemic, and also from people who are considering starting something now that we've been through uh, this remote uh, situation that we have been dealing with for the last couple of years, is should my conference be hybrid? Are hybrid conferences the new normal? People ask us this all the time. Uh, so we want to dig into that a little bit. And Nessa, I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us, like, when we hear that question, what do people actually mean? What are they really asking? So when people bring that up to us, I think the number one thing they actually are asking is, that sounds super expensive and super complicated. Um, can't we just go back to the old way, how it used to be? Or why can't we go back to normal? Um, or what they want us to to answer is why do we have to do it as if like an obligation right why do we have to have an online option if we could just go back to in person like why add this new thing on if we don't you know have to and lastly um if i do have an in-person only event what do i do now with this broader audience that i got from being online for these past couple of years how do i um serve or address them because now that it's so, going back to in person i i don't know what to do with them if we were to dig into this a little bit deeper like let's figure out what some of the problems are that are underlying these questions like what what is really happening that's causing this stuff to bubble up and i mm-hmm. think that um, one of the things as people think about hybrid events in particular is that they either uh, misunderstand or they don't quite care enough or care deeply enough about accessibility and inclusion. Um, it, I think one thing that was uh, became very, very apparent throughout the pandemic and the shift to online uh, gatherings and events and, uh, and whatnot is that the the ability for anybody to connect to your event from wherever they are geographically economically wherever uh is a massive boon to inclusion and accessibility and we saw uh we saw audiences balloon 
beyond what was previously possible with an in-person event. And I think that a lot of people, especially those who were organizing in-person only conferences uh, for a long time, kind of were blinded to the fact that they um, that it actually costs a lot of money to attend an event in person, right? It's not just about yes. the ticket price. And, we, and we've gone through this with our clients previously when we're thinking about how do you set ticket prices and budgets and how do you adequately market an event. Uh, but, uh, it, 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 it just costs a lot of money. You have to pay for airfare. If it's not in your own city, you have to pay for a hotel. You've got the meals, you've got the ticket, you've got all the other things. Like there's just a lot involved with it. And having an online event destroys all of those extra expenses and makes it far more economically accessible. Yes. Because accessibility isn't just, um, about, you know, physical or maybe a disability that somebody has right mm -hmm. it's also about financial accessibility which has up until now hasn't really been part of the conversation but yes um all of a sudden people could attend these events all around the world that they could never have attended before so there there was an explosion of participation and um to your point of misunderstanding or not caring in the past couple of years especially that first year in that first pivot where suddenly people were needing to take the online, the in-person event and in a couple of weeks, make it an online thing. Um, accessibility was used as a huge selling point, a huge marketing point. Right. And it annoyed us because it, it was very, <laughs> it was very blatant because people who never talked about accessibility before, all of a sudden that was like their favorite word and they were using mm -hmm. it to sell tickets to, to their events. Um, and lo and behold, now that um, things are coming back to in-person, people have shown their ass because they didn't actually care about accessibility because all of a sudden these online um, options are gone and all of a sudden they don't care about um, giving making something more accessible to people. Uh, and th that goes to show you that they really do not care or they just don't understand that you, you've gone from creating something that is accessible to so many more people to, nope, you know, closing the door for like so many people now. And that's gross. Mm -hmm. What's interesting though, is that on the flip side of this, of these questions, there are some people who, do care enough about it to know that it's important and to feel obligated to keep their like anybody who pivoted online from a from an in-person conference uh, through the pandemic realized how much more accessible it was just through the nature of doing it right and so there are some people out there who are like yeah i get it i get it it's important and also it's expensive to do a hybrid event uh, yeah. or they're questioning, should I just do all online from now on? Or is there an in-person right. uh, possibility? You know, where, where's the balance between, between that? Um, so I think another one of the issues underlying this line of questioning is just this kind of core, um, lack of understanding or really knowing what an audience's needs are. I think if, as a as a community leader or an organizer um, or any, anybody who has some influence over a group of people in a space like this, if you don't truly understand what your audience is looking for, uh, it's going to be really hard for you to make 
uh, an educated decision around how you can fulfill those needs. Correct. And we're seeing a backlash um, because of that uh, misunderstanding, right? Um, There are conferences that have announced that they're coming back in person. They are not having an online option. They're not doing any kind of like COVID safety related stuff at all. And we're seeing online the backlash that they're getting for that. And there's a lot of people that are just straight up, you know, refusing to support or boycott. Um, an example an easy example which is wild to me because of just the essence of their business so twitchcon recently announced this year that you know they're doing the 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 conference they're going to be in person and they just announced that there's going to be absolutely no like covid safety stuff at all they're not going to do any checking they're not going to no mask anything like that Obviously, there's been a huge backlash from mm-hmm. a lot of people, especially because, uh, like, if you don't know what Twitch is, their whole thing is live streaming of events. And, mm-hmm. you know, people make their livelihoods, like, every couple of days, they stream for an online audience at their homes and whatnot. And it is really wild that, like, TwitchCon <laughs> is doing that because... They already know way before the pandemic how to do online events and online communities because that's straight up what they are, you know, and and like a lot of people are boycotting and they're like, we're not going to attend, not just like fans and people that watch Twitch, but a lot of their content creators are like disabled people are people that have, um, you know, health issues are people that are one of the reasons they started streaming on Twitch was because they couldn't go to in-person things. So they started streaming and they found an audience. So it is absolutely wild that they made that decision. And that was, I mean, clearly they, they did not think about their users and their audience because a lot of people are mad at them. Yeah. I think understanding your audience is like, I mean, any, anybody involved in community leadership or, uh, running a business should know that understanding your audience and your customers and your clients is first and foremost, like the key thing to have in your arsenal to that informs your marketing and informs your product and service delivery, all of these things. And yet so many people uh, completely forget to think about that when it comes to making decisions around hybrid events in particular. Yeah, and I wanted I saved a tweet that I wanted to uh, bring up today because it is so relevant and it's so awesome. Like the thread, the responses, and the conversation it's caused. So, um, this comes from at Tarja underscore PK, um, and they tweeted this uh, like I think it was yesterday. It says, as an accessibility advocate and disabled person, it's really sad to see no online slash hybrid options for upcoming events, neither for the audience nor the speakers. Are we ditching a big part of the community again? Hmm. I mean, there you go. Like, um, And this was in response to an announcement from another uh, conference that they... Um, wanted to participate in but they can't because they're disabled and this year they're no longer going to accept any online participation so like there you go there 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 is no reason to not 
look at your audience, right? Mm-hmm. And ask that question and, and, and really think about that. Like, what do they need? Do they need uh, online access? Because the, the truth is not every event does need to be online, right? right. It, there are some that just don't work or it doesn't make sense. But if your audience needs it, then why are you not doing yeah. it? Yeah, and by contrast, not every event needs to be in person either. Uh, and I think that that's part of the risk of this line of questioning around, oh, does it need to be hybrid? Is hybrid the new normal? Is that hybrid isn't the only option, first of all, uh, and that there are a lot of factors that go into deciding uh, whether or not that's right for you or which format is right for your audience. Um, So that kind of segues into the other, one of the other key problems um, that feeds into this line of questioning for me, which is this kind of uh, short-term versus long-term thinking uh, mm-hmm. process. I think it's really easy to think about, uh, what people need right now and to not really think about how, what you're creating with your conference, uh, how that will influence your community over the long haul, how that will influence their, uh, ability to connect with other community members, uh, and, and how that, that affects your growth and your uh, your goals and things like that. So, um, a lot of these these questions come from this shorter term mindset of okay, you know, pandemics quote unquote over, uh, and so now we're going back to in person, and mm-hmm. that is just kind of a short sighted um, uh, way of thinking about things because as we think about global audiences and networks of connected people and all of the things that the internet has provided for us over the last couple of decades, um, there's a lot more at play from a long-term perspective than just trying to figure out what to do with your conference this particular year or next year. And we don't know if next year there might be another lockdown for something else. Like we have no idea that that's life. So it's really awkward <laughs> to be like, yeah, this year we're not, we're going back to in-person and then next year coming back like, Oh, never mind. Like we love the online people again, you know, come back. Like that's no, that's not cool. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and there's so many other factors that influence this too. Like we, we touched on the cost to attend an event in person. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But even outside of a pandemic, there are so many other factors that can influence those costs. We look at how fuel prices have skyrocketed in the last That's year true. because of global conflict, right? right what happens right. when flights become completely inaccessible financially for most people, or if they're making those decisions to purchase flights, you know, nine months in advance instead of three months in advance because the fares mm-hmm. are lower. Um, what happens as our climate continues to shift and the younger generation becomes more conscious than they are now even about Mm -hmm. where they choose to travel and how they choose to travel. Um, All of these things are going to influence the long-term effects uh, of the events industry uh, on whether or not we're gathering in person or online. And all of these things uh, should be considerations that you make when you're thinking about your long-term community growth. Right. And that's a great transition to another point that, that we've talked about a lot is this idea of, of normal (laughs) is real life 
uh, or in-person events, that's the normal, right? So that we want to go back to normal and this idea of um, there is a way of doing the thing and anything outside of that is, is abnormal, mm-hmm. right? I think uh, this had me thinking about, um, well, first let me say there is no normal, like there never has right. been when you, especially when you're talking about community building, it is constantly a state of flux. There's an adaptation, there's technology, there's modes of communication. All of this changes. But even amidst all of that, I think back to some of the earliest communities that I was a part of when I was in my mm-hmm. early twenties and uh high elder millennial here. Um, but I was big into live journal which was right. And like anybody who was involved in a forum um, or, you know, even dating way back to AOL chat rooms and, and I, ICQ, is that what it was called? I I think it was called that. Yeah. But I was, I was totally there too. Yes. Like, you know, we have been building communities online for decades. And I think back to these live journal communities that I was a part of and we were all connected online and we'd be posting regularly and sharing and everything. And then, uh, you know, I was part of this community of Portlanders. Uh, It was called Damn Portlanders. And they started hosting (laughs) monthly meetups in person. We would get together at a pub or whatever to meet each other in person. And that was this in-person connective tissue that would kind of like chain us along. But everything in between was all online. That was a hybrid experience. That was an ongoing, long-term hybrid experience. I made friends that way. Uh, I met some really weird people that way. Um, but that was part of the joy of it. And I think that um, we're, in some respects, we're starting to lose sight of um, those types of really integrated community spaces that um, that we're we're kind of trampling out in in this uh, attempt to like go back to this normal of in-person events. I think in a lot of ways, uh, in-person events were just easier, right? Because you didn't have to worry about, um, you know, masses of people coming from all over the internet. You just had the people walking into the physical, excuse me, to the physical space. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, community building is not is not a normal process there's no status quo it's a constant state of evolution and adaptation and i think if you you know if you aren't thinking about what your audience needs and how they're willing to connect with each other it's really hard to to make decisions around how you're going to gather them and in which formats uh to do so effectively in contrast to your experience with live journal, like my live journal experience, I made plenty of friends that I never met in person and I right. never knew their real names. And those were completely valid friendships and, and right. Like community. Um, but then again, there's people my age, like I live in Puerto Rico now and there's people my age and younger that not, I, I would say their introduction to the internet and like online communities was like maybe a decade ago, you know, and they're the same age as me. So their experience is completely different. Like they, they, they're just now starting to learn about these online worlds of like, it, it, it is just as valid to know somebody online and call them a friend as it is to, to know someone in person. Right. Um, so I, I agree with you in this idea of like, we need to stop acting like, in real life is the only real one or the only mm-hmm. only valid version, especially since since the beginning of the internet, 
we know that that's not true because we've been right. using the internet for for this since the beginning, right? Like I don't know why we're so stubborn about it, but there is a there is like a conference or like an event establishment, like a mainstream idea that they're very stubborn to change, and I think that that they've they've lasted a long time, but we need to break that down and move on. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's okay to do things online. It's not taking away from anything. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about some of the ways we can break that down. Um, Absolutely, so, yeah. so we've talked a little bit about these underlying issues and some of the problems that, that, um, breed these types of questions, um, is, when we work with our clients, um, you know, one of the very first things that we do is dive deeply into understanding who their audience is, what community uh, they have and what they are building so that we can then um, make decisions influenced by that, right? If we don't understand who these people are, then how can we, how can we even begin to, uh, to create something special for them, right? Strategy first, then strategy starts with research. You have to know who you're talking to, who is part of this community, and what do they care about. Um, and then from there, um, another, what we do is we design an experience that is inclusive, uh, designed for that community mm -hmm. and for what their needs. Because again, um, if most of your audience wants to join online, then why are you insisting on doing an in-person only? Like that does not make any sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, by contrast, we've, we've been working with a client, uh, who was trying to do online stuff for a very geographically, uh, concise, uh, group of, of audience members and they weren't doing it very effectively. And so the answer in this case was to go back to in-person, uh, to be able to really fulfill that, that particular event's needs. Um, so, so that to me really underscores this this core importance of identifying what's right for you and your audience and not just duplicating what you see everybody else doing or what, especially what you see tech telling you that you should do. Um, right. you know, we've, we've talked about this before. <laughs> um, and a lot of people continue to talk about this, but the, the event tech industry absolutely exploded during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. and then now what we're seeing is this kind of constriction of things where it's like, oh yeah, an app for everything, a platform for everything. Everybody wants to do hybrid. They all have these new solutions, but now it's, it's constricting and kind of uh, rebalancing. But I think it's, it's even more important now than ever not to, f not to buy into what they're pushing as marketing for these, uh, you know, these like hot new ways to create community um, and to really focus on identifying what is right for you and your audience rather than just doing what everybody else thinks that they should do. And that's something we do through our event lab process. It's, it's understanding who your audience is, figuring out what, um, what are the ways in which we can meet those goals and how can we design an event format and, a, and create this blueprint for something that will really help you achieve that. And as a final thought for this, I just want to say that accessibility 
accessibility is not a selling point. It is not a marketing strategy. It is not a thing that you use to sell tickets and then not care about. Like accessibility is an obligation to create a space that serves as many people as possible. And it's not cool to all of a sudden abandon these people who finally are able to, you know, access a bunch of things they couldn't before to then just drop them like they're nothing. Yeah. I would, I would add that accessibility and inclusion are a mindset more than they are a tactic. Um, if you can, if you can understand and set your, set yourself up to really grasp the importance and the value that accessibility and inclusion bring to you and to your community, then any efforts you make to be accessible and inclusive are going to be more authentic and be better served to your audience members. All right. So why don't we bring it on home and and give a bit of a recap of today's episode? All right. So this core question we've been digging into today has been, should my conference be hybrid and is hybrid the new normal? And we tore that apart. We tore that apart um, by identifying that uh, really people are asking that they're worried about the expense of producing a hybrid conference. Uh, They want to go back to what's easy uh, and what they know, or uh, they don't really know what to do with this broader online audience that they've cultivated throughout the remote life that we've experienced through the pandemic. Uh, But the ways that we can can really embrace um, these audiences and serve them better are by first understanding them then designing an experience that is inclusive, using a mindset toward accessibility that is going to be uh, more holistic and authentic to those audience, that audience's needs. And then figuring out not just how you can jump on the bandwagon for whatever event trends are happening, but how you can really um, create something that is best served to you and to your audience's needs rather than just doing what everybody else is doing. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope the discussion about hybrid events helps you kickstart your strategy and helps you figure out like what's best for your event and your community. But if you want more, you can head on over to GetEventLab.com where we have a free copy for you of the tool that we use with our clients to help them answer these questions and more. That's GetEventLab.com and I will see you next time.